0: Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me Ken Doherty and my good friend Reggie Corrigan Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby and all the crack Enjoy the show and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts
1: Morning Rich. how are you? Ah uh, never better, never better. Another great weekend. I got a I'm going along to the Aviva later on with all the family to look at Leinster and M- uh, Munster huge game later on today, oh, it very excited. Yeah, it should be, should be. I mean, um it's it's an interesting one. Uh Leinster have picked a side that's kind of um maybe for some people not uh, not all the first choice household names in it, but with Leinster, as we've seen, they just seem to be able to pick whoever they want to get the result done. And then um, a few uh, lads back that we t- thought maybe Peter O'Mahony was carrying an injury. Weren't sure if he was going to make it. There's a few head injuries there. So it'll be just an intriguing game to see how how strong once there are after all these injuries that they've shipped. And how good Leinster really are, of course, with the uh, Champions Cup coming up next week. But yeah, it would be a cracking day. Yeah. Looking forward to it.
0: Oh, It'll be brilliant! It'd be a great
1: atmosphere there as well. Yeah, will be. Will be is no doubt about it. It's funny. I was looking at the uh paper this morning, Ken, and uh, reading through the various things. And David Kelly has a, a great interview with uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan that he did um there in the Irish Independent. And Ronnie's over at the moment um promoting his new book, Unbreakable. But it's yeah. it's it's a great article. It gives a, a, a really. Unusual insight into him, you know. I mean, we know he's had struggles yeah. with addiction and everything else over over time. But it's uh, it's it's amazing, you know. He talks about having a pint of Guinness while he's sitting there with Dave Kelly, which is not <laughs> the kind of thing you think of for someone with an addiction, but he says it's all about managing it and moderation and being in control. So, um Yeah, he seems to be I mean in a he's had place. he's
0: had a very very turbulent life, Reg, you know, since mm. uh, from the time of fifteen when his father Went away for, for murder, you know, for 20 years. And then three years later, his, his mother went into prison for tax evasion. And it was just himself and his sister, you know. and yeah. he, You know, in the book, I, I was watching a bit of the uh, interview last night uh, on the Toby show, you know, about how he went away and, and just lost his way, you know, lost total control. Mm. You know, went on a binge or drinking and drugs and then got out of it somehow, thankfully. Got in and got rehab and then uh, got his head down and started to really sort of concentrate on a snooker So but, Yeah, but those early years had a major effect on his life, as you, as you can imagine, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. What I didn't realise, you never told me or being very humble, was how much of a major effect you had on his life. He says in the article, um, you know, you were one of his heroes and uh, his father used to get you to go to the house and play against him when he was 1112 11, 12-year-old kid. Did, yeah. And uh, yeah. that must have been... A uh, uh, strange uh, situation, as you said, because we were kind of in in the middle of a criminal environment as well, where there was stuff going <laughs> yeah. on.
0: Uh, it must have yeah, been amazing. mad. I mean, he used, send, he used to send a taxi for me. His father, I didn't drive at the time. I was only 18. I was only off the boat to England. Yeah. And I was uh, living in Ilford, where he played. It was the first time I'd seen him. He, he came up to the club, and then his father used to ask me to go round and play him in the house, you know, and. uh yeah, he used to do that for him. He was only about 12 at the time. And, uh, yeah, we used to practice, like, you know, two best of 19s. I remember one time, I'd, I bet him one, one time 10-2, you know. And we normally would come in and have a bit of breakfast and then go and then go back out in the afternoon. And this time he says, oh, no, I can't do the afternoon. I have to do some um, school chores and stuff like that. Yeah. I said, okay, no problem. Just just call the taxi for me. So I get into the taxi. I forgot my uh, towel. So I had to go back through the house down into the kitchen down through the garden into the snooker room and there he was practicing away you know he yeah. got really embarrassed you know and, uh, but he was getting ready for the next day but yeah uh, we had a laugh about it.
1: and uh, But he was, a, he was a tremendous talent even uh, even then, you know? It must have been... Uh, I, you know I
0: always tell people I used to beat O'Sullivan 10 yeah. to 10-3 every day. But he, but he was only 12 years of age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair.
1: Well, even at 12, I think I'd have a job. Uh, at, at, at Maybe eight out of a job to beat him. Never mind at 12. But, uh, but I, I just thought it offered amazing insight yeah. into them that people probably don't realise you know that for yeah. and, and no more than yourself like I mean this starts at such a young age for these young age and yeah. for you as well but for, for professionals like at, at Snook it just starts at such a young age like it doesn't like in my sport it doesn't start at that age you know there's a bit of foundation yeah. laid in that you might learn how to catch a ball but it certainly doesn't yeah. Found, isn't the foundation to, to be at the levels of that playing 18, 19 year olds in snooker? Um, it's incredible the path. Well, I mean,
0: even at 12, yeah, even at 12 or even before that, you know, his father would take him all around the country playing in pro arms every single weekend from the age of, you know, 10, 11, 12, you know, and that kept going. Obviously, then when his father went in, he had somebody else taking him. Put a uh, oh yeah, that was right up until he turned professional. Well, he turned professional very early at sixteen years of age. He was the youngest professional uh, that I ever turned pro. And um, yeah, it was just uh, that was that was the sort of. Uh, Experience, you know, of breaking and playing in the in the on the professional circuit or on the amateur circuit to get onto the professional circuit.
1: Hmm, hmm. Yeah, well, it was he, a
0: tough life.
1: bro. You know? I was just going to say that it, it's kind of puts a new perspective on on a lot of things. I know he's brought out a book before, but this one definitely uh, focuses on the, um, the 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 upbringing side of it and what he had to deal with. Yeah. And I mean, and he even mentions in the article that yourself and himself probably fell out because. You know, he didn't really want to be beaten week in, week out by you or, you know, it embarrassed him and he had to kind of... Uh, but no, he says the bridges have been mended. There's no issue there. But, like, you know, yeah. in the beginning, were you, were you friendly with him? Did you kind of...
2: Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we were we were friends, really close friends. And I, I was sort of mentor to him in a way. Mm. And then uh, we sort of fell out a little bit. And even though we played in the same club, we never played with each other. And then I went to them, in, uh, it was in 97, when um, I was going to the World Championship, just uh, trying to win my fourth match to try and stay on the, stay in the top 16. Yeah. And I said to them, I said, look, just let's put our differences aside, let's just practice for the World Championship. And we played each other, and we, we shook hands, and we played each other for the two weeks. Yeah. Constantly, every single day. And when when we went to the World Championship that year, I thought he was going to win it. He was playing so well. Yeah, and of course he made that magnificent uh, one four seven in five minutes twenty seconds. Yes. That was the same year. I got over my first match, and then I, he got beaten the second round, unfortunately for him. And then I went on to win it. But that was when we sort of shook hands and said, "Okay, let's just get on with it." And. Get on with our lives and and you know sh- shake hands yeah. and, and yeah. try and, uh, and move be best on best friends as we can you know yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's that's the way to do it yeah I mean it's a, but it is it's an intriguing read I can't wait to read the book <clears throat> you know yeah, yeah, it, yeah. the demons are there but it's not surprising considering the background that he had and um, yeah. you know the upbringing that he had it was tough th- it really was I th- hard I think
0: the great I think the great thing is that you know that he, he went to rehab and you know he, he got out of it you know he got his head down into snooker. Hmm and uh, and really put his sort of his heart and soul in this new guy he said he got some coaches and really knew what he had to do to win the world championship and and we're blessed that he did do that because yeah. he's been such an amazing talisman for a sport and uh, you know he's brought millions into the game to watch it and everywhere he goes he you know the crowds turn out in their droves and he just uh, when he plays on TV he just brings a new dimension to the game, like, and uh, and we're blessed to have him in the sport, and he's been at the top of the sport now for for thirty years.
1: Yeah, I have to say, the other thing I really admire the fact that he is so honest you know it's, it's a breath of fresh air in sport where there's yeah, all these screens yeah, yeah. put up and you know a guard and PR uh, answers and everything else but he doesn't yeah. he's he, he's out there whether you like it or don't like it uh, he'll put it out there and it is a yeah, real absolutely. breath of fresh yeah. air <clears throat> to, to hear that kind yeah. of honesty coming from a sports star so uh, great to see him in town great to see him looking so well feeling so well it seems uh, reading through the article and like I said looking forward to reading the book so uh, yeah good good article yeah, in the end yeah, of yeah, if you it's want to read right, it
0: uh, he's, he's mad into his fitness now and yeah. he's running he loves running he he runs with Shane Healy who was uh, our own Irish champion you mm. know in athletics and represented Ireland very well in the Olympics and stuff like that he's become a really good friend of him I introduced him actually when he was playing at Gops a couple of years ago yeah. and I've known Shane for a long long time but I, I thought I'll bring Shane along and introduce him to Ronnie because, I, because of their they're both love of running, you yeah, know? Yeah. And they struck up this wonderful friendship and he, Shane goes over and runs with him and now he's coming over and I'm sure he's out running probably this morning somewhere with him as yeah. well.
1: So it's great. Yeah. Delighted for them. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well, like I said, Irish Independent, David Kelly, good article, well worth the read. Okay, yeah, yeah, moving yeah. on to your other great love, United, they have a big one today, uh, taking on Ooh. Wolves. Uh, just a point clear to Liverpool now uh, in that, um, okay, the game it's in hand. time, Reg. Huh?
0: It is. <laughs> Weeky yeah, that's
1: time of the year. I mean, uh, oh yeah. I'd say they'll get the job done against Wolves, though.
0: Uh I tell you what, it's going to be like a cup final today because uh, Liverpool are breeding on the necks. Now, the only thing for... You know you need nine points to guarantee top four mm. uh, from the last four games. But they're playing Chelsea at home, Wolves at home, Bournemouth away and Fulham at home. Hmm. They're, three not gonna home be, games. they're not going to be easy. They're yeah. not going to be easy at all. To get nine points out of that will be very, very difficult. And uh, But they need the three points today just to steady the ship because, you know, the, the, the loss at Brighton was ridiculous. Luke Shaw, I don't know what he was doing. Yeah. Handling the ball like that. After 96 minutes and handling the ball like that was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bit and of panic was, set know, in. Sort of, they're, they're, yeah, panic set in big time. So And that would sort of you know, go through the whole team. Hmm. You know, so they need to steady the ship today. It's a massive game. Three o'clock today
1: at Wolves. Yeah, absolutely. At home. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on it and see how it goes. What have you got planned for the rest of the week?
0: Erm... Um, I'm, I'm on the way to Watford this morning uh, I'm going down to see Christian and, and uh, I'm coming back
1: home for a few days around Cork on Sunday lovely great well I'm going to be talking yeah, yeah, to a yeah. uh, great Cork man uh, Paddy Callanan, now in a few minutes about the uh, oh, documentaries that he's done on Roy Keane so he's coming up next so yeah, yeah. you might stay tuned uh, and, and listen in on that but you have yeah. a good week and uh, I awesome. won't catch up with you next week I'm not here myself but I'll catch up with you the week after Now, my next guest is a self-professed Roy Keane expert and content creator. I'm delighted to welcome to the show, as I said, content creator, Paddy Callanan. Good morning,
3: Paddy. How are you? Good morning, Reggie. Great to be here with you. Thanks very much for bringing me on. Absolutely.
1: Delighted to have you on. Delighted to have you on. It's an interesting uh, topic of conversation. I don't know if you've ever watched um, Ted Lasso. You'll probably tell me I'm mad to be watching it, but there's a character on that called Roy, uh, surprisingly enough, and uh, for all the world he reminds me of an English version of Roy Keane, where in um, punditry he tends to be very to the point and very direct. Uh, And I think that's what we love about Roy Keane, and I doubt one of the many things that attracted you to him. But you've kind of decided to do a series of documentaries that maybe looks at the other side that might be forgotten about a little bit these days and that's how skillful a player he was.
3: Yeah, very, very good point. When I've heard that, that analogy the one about the Cade and I I think to be fair that's that that's certainly loosely based on Keane's type of commentary and punditry. Yeah, as you said, Reggie, I I've gone right back to the start. You know, the 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 King's playing career is sometimes overlooked because of the controversy that surrounded certain parts of his career the the Saipan incident obviously and Asli Haaland and all of that and that takes away in my opinion from the incredible footballer that he was and the incredible career that he had starting at 19 years of age making his debut unbeknownst to himself he'd gone out uh, for points the night before after a reserve game he was called up the next uh, day to report to the forest grounds, he was brought out to Clough's house, he more than likely suffered with a li- little bit of a hangover, Clough threw a bottle of milk into his hand, he drank that, went up to Anfield, and 30 minutes before uh, the game's kicking off, he's thought he's playing. You know. <laughs> so from there right up until the end of his career, 2005, uh, 701 professional games in, in, in totality, there, it's an amazing career, it's an amazing story in that regard, and I wanted to get that out to people for, for, for people of my generation that would remember bringing them down memory lane and the younger generation just to highlight what an incredible, unbelievable, interesting time that was and what an incredible he was.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and more than anything else, the sport uh, evolves over time, professionalism evolves over time. I've seen it myself in rugby, the way things change uh, from when I played to what it is nowadays, and, and Roy was there through such a long period of that. Did you, did you find in the research, interesting the way you mentioned you're know, going out for a few pints and being thrown in at the deep end almost, uh, did you find much of a change in the man himself and how his skills developed or his professionalism or his attitude changed? Did you find all that? Yeah,
3: for, for sure. I mean, back in those days, I suppose it was like the pre-professional days in rugby, there was that mindset and right up until um, maybe the, the mid-90s, the late 90s, that that kind of going out after the game was, was part of the, the, the deal and the way teams get around that up until nineteen ninety eight ninety nine was forty eight hours before a game it was written into his contract that it was that 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 was okay, but that was based on the premise that you were going out, but you weren't staying out till whatever the early hours in the morning and plenty of times that did happen and I think Keane once he had that very bad injury in nineteen ninety seven mm. he he had a moment of clarity and he realized you know what this is a very very short career, and it can be taken away from you very very quickly and I think that that was a watershed in regards how he prepared himself from that day forward and I'm sure you remember the actual physical transformation in the guy yeah. he went lean he lost weight he was maybe gaunt to a certain degree and I remember hearing a, a lovely antidote story that his mother came over and started quizzing him about what, what, what exactly you were doing how you were preparing yourself and he told her that he wasn't actually eating meat and she had him back on, on steak and potatoes and cabbage yeah. you know so there, there, there was an incredible um, transformation in that time when he was driven to the point where from that incident where for one year he was out of the game and the career was extraordinarily short and extraordinarily fast and he decided he was going to get the most out of it.
1: And, you know, his on-the-pitch skills were evident to see. I mean, that was there. But also, I was, I'm was i always intrigued, with Roy Keane, with the presence that he has uh, around other players and how... It seemed to be in that United setup, anyway. Certainly under in the Ferguson time and everything else, that everyone was looking to him to be the the leader. And you know, he got in tough, and and, and it was never dirty. In, you know, in my mind, he got in very tough and hard. But until he got into the game, it felt like the rest of the players around him couldn't. You know, he was really built into that leadership role.
3: Sure, sure. And he brought, he brought people up to his standard. And I, I, I'm sure at times in training and during and, and matches, that can't have been easy for the other players. But the standard that Keane said in lots of ways wasn't asking for much in regards just empty the tank, give it 100%. And, you know, once you got, got to that level, um, you'd have no problems with Roy Keane. But if you dropped off that 3 or 4%, he was going to be all over. He was going to be on your case. And he couldn't understand... Anybody that was in a privileged and in the professional position where you were getting paid to to empty and em- empty your the gas for ninety minutes, you know, um, he he couldn't get his head around the fact that some people would slacking off during mm. the game, mm. and that 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 was his drive. And he had that, Reggie, from a very very young age. I had the the privilege, or was probably we were destroyed. after an under fourteen game back here. Back in nineteen eighty five I was on the pitch. I was more of a Gaelic footballer now, but I was I talked out that day against mm. them. They hammered us five one, a great Rockmount team, that was his club. And when they were four or five one up, Keane was giving up to his to his own players that day. You what? know, I distinctly remember that.
1: Yeah. He you know? wanted so, that level out of them.
3: Yeah, he just he had to drive and if things weren't right and things weren't going mm. the way he thought they should be, he was giving out, you know, and That's given out in in, in a positive way. Sometimes that's reflected that he's a little bit strong, a little bit forceful, maybe a little bit too much. But you know, certain um, sports characters like Brian Driscoll, Paul O'Connell, Roy Keane, they're winners. They hate losing. And if you're not buying into that mindset, they're going to be all over
1: you. So what will our listeners uh, get from this documentary that maybe they haven't gotten before from others that uh, have been doing it? We, we know the skill levels, but what have you delved into and what what have you? What are you hoping to get across to the public who will watch this? Yeah,
3: when, when, when I started doing it first, Reggie, I was very surprised in lots of ways. There's, Roy's had his own two autobiographies out. There's been lots of biographies, lots of articles, lots of ink paper and all of that, but nobody in, went into the depth in regards the total statistical, chronological order of his career. Mm. And I've gone right back to the very, very start of days at Rockmount, a schoolboy club, up to his first professional contract with Cove. The incredible story of the trial with Noel McCabe and getting the break to go over to Forrest, his Forrest days, or 154 games with them. And bear this one in mind, an incredible statistic. Three years with Forest, 154 games, no red card. <laughs> Not one single red card. The United, 21 years of age, the most expensive player. Manchester had bought at that time, captain at 25. Um, World Cup with Ireland in 1994. And sometimes things like that. Uh, the World Cup in ninety-four is overshadowed by Saipan. He was the best player in the pitch against Italy in 1994. Um, right up to being captain when Canton retired at 25. And all the way out, Reggie, to... 2005, I have I've a playlist section as well if, if people want to go on and watch that and this is particularly for all the- all all people that that love statistics, every match, professional match that Roikeem played, I've that documented. So go into the descriptions, you'll see all the appearances, you'll see all the statistics, um, and that's including all the the professional games in England as a player, and Ireland, under 21, right up to senior. So I've documented everything, all in chronological order. My own videos, 112 of them, start with uh, the Rockmount days, right up on to where we are at 2000 now I'm going to get to the to, to the right to the end hopefully to the present day so everything he's done everything he said um, all the games I, I've got them there so the best way to find it Reggie is, is, is I suppose type in the pursuit of Roy Keane that's my most popular video of 60,000 views of that or close to it now yeah. and then that'll bring you to the channel and you'll get everything you want so
1: It's time to talk rugby, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by Rory O'Connor of the Ocean Independent. Good morning, Rory. How are you? Hey, Reggie. Good. Thanks. Yourself? Oh, very well, very well. Why wouldn't I be? Big game on the Aviva later than going along to the kids, and it should be that atmosphere that everybody's expecting. And, um, yeah, cracking day all around. Um, one to look forward to, but I, I suppose one that's intriguing in many ways, uh, we've been looking at Leinster and the powerhouse that they've been in recent times, Munster, and their poor start to the season, which has been backed up by a very good finishing uh, run in the, their campaign, and they're playing good rugby again, and a bit of an intriguing one because of the way the teams have been picked as to what way this one's going to go, although Leinster are heavy favourites.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Leinster, like, they're, they're fighting on two fronts, as we all know, and they have a big European final next weekend, and... I mean, Leo Cullen's effectively rested the Ireland team, and still has picked uh, an, a, a, a Leinster team that looks very, very strong. And you know, the bookies reckon they're ten points favourites against. You know, i Munster have a few in, you know, quite a substantial number of injuries, but it's it's as strong as Munster can go. And I guess it's a reflection of Leinster, Leinster's incredible strength and depth and and um, continuity that that people still believe that they can win, and, and they probably win, will win if they get things right on the day. But at the same time. The fact that so many of the frontliners are will be watching from the stand just takes away that little bit of extra confidence that Munster would have and gives you know, you should think that it gives Munster a little bit of a belief at a venue where they've suffered so much heartbreak over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I would say there's a lot more than a little bit of belief amongst Munster supporters and those players. Um, you know, it's become it's almost become the situation that people are afraid to say uh, to go against Leinster. They're afraid to say that Leinster are going to be under the caution this one because they've proven time and time and time again that the backup squad are up to the task. But this is a strong Munster team and I, I like the way Leo Cullen has uh, been interviewed this week and, and spoken about the fact that he's very, very nervous about this when He's not taking it for granted because, you know, you've got Lockman, Archer, Klein, Byrne in the second row. O'Mahony's back fit. Coombs is playing great rugby. You've got Casey who's arguably the form nine for Munster anyway. Healy's in there ten. We'll see what he's got to offer. Um if Earls is back on the wing, you know, uh, it's a very, very strong Munster team and I know it's, it's it's very good.
4: I mean, yeah. and I think Earls being back is key. I, I do I would like to see Snyman in there just to like he be, he's been really growing into his role the last couple of weeks and, and getting back to full fitness. And I think he could be the I think they signed him as a game changer and they'd barely be able to get him onto the pitch for three years, which is a real shame for Munster who you know spent a lot of money on, on mm. this world class South African and, you know, for all the you know, we've criticised decisions they've made over the years. He was a really good signing and they've been really unlucky with two cataclysmic knee injuries followed by a couple of head injuries that have ruled him out this weekend and, and Calvin Ashley, one of their best players this season. So they are missing players that I think would make a difference tomorrow and, and it's, or sorry, this, yeah. this evening. But the, they, they, they should have belief but I have watched the Munster in semi-finals at, you know in Dublin in the last couple of years and wondered if they really believe they can beat Leinster
2: mm. because
4: Leinster have gone down to Tom Park at Christmas with teams that look a little bit like this one or, or even have been weaker than this one and they've won well they've they've won nearly every game in the that the two teams have played they've won at the RDS they've won semi-finals um, while resting teams in between um, final you know they, they played European finals then Pro 12 semi-finals the following week and rested Johnny Sexton and a number of others, and they've still been able to come up Trump so that has to have a psychological effect over the years, just constantly losing to their, their main rivals. Yeah, and I think that has damaged Munster's belief system, but the way they've won in South Africa recently, gone to Glasgow, won a quarter-final last weekend, that should mean that Munster are travelling up the road with a bit of steel, a bit of belief, and a bit of a, a knowledge that this is a real opportunity, because this isn't the, the Leinster first team, this is not quite the second, it's kind of a, a hybrid of the two, and you don't get many opportunities to win trophies. You don't get many opportunities to win semi-finals in, in Dublin again, you know when Leinster maybe have their eye on, on a bigger prize next weekend. Mm. And if they win, and if Connacht win over in South Africa, then the finals in Thomond Park next year. If they win, and the final and the Stormers win, they're going back to Cape Town where they won a couple of weeks ago. So they, I think Leinster are, are obviously really out in front in this league. But between first and seventh or so, there's nothing between those teams, and Munster mm. could beat any of those. So if you can pick off Leinster's hybrids second slash first team today with a big performance that your season's been building towards, and and show that bit of belief that you're talking about, yeah. then there's a trophy there if you won, and they haven't won a trophy since 2011, and that could be a springboard for the Graham Roundtree era, and everything could flow. At the same time, they've had lots of semi-final opportunities in the last couple of years against similar oppositions. I they just haven't performed. And I'm fairness, Leinster have on the big day, and Leinster have a knack of performing on a big day.
1: Yeah, well, I, I feel there's an edge to Munster at the moment, as you said, going away, getting those results. They've had a very strong latter part of the season. I feel their backs have been to the wall. They've been put under pressure in the media, they've been put under pressure themselves. Uh, and I just feel there's something about them at the moment, I think. And, and, and I'm delighted because it's going to be a cracking game later on, and, you know, lucky enough to be able to go along to it. One, one intriguing part for me was the Joey Carberry element. Uh, I know you found that a bit intriguing as well it was on Twitter uh, during the week no place anywhere
4: yeah it's a real surprise because you could kind of understand why they've they've been going with Jack Crowley to start and Ben Healy coming off to close out games because they've been going really really well and Carberry since his Ireland dropping and maybe a little bit before just hadn't been in great form but with Healy and Crowley starting it's a real surprise that they've gone with Rory Scannell ahead of Joey Carberry there was a big rumour going around yesterday that he's off to Racing 92. As far as I'm aware, that's not true. Um, he's with the team. He's, he's, he was part of their warm-up in Glasgow last weekend. He's, he'll be part of their warm-up in Dublin um, today. But he's just not going to look in at all. And Roundtree's been quite ruthless with his selections this year. He's dropped Connor Murray. Um, Dave Cocoigne is also out of the 23, although he's fit. Um, so he's going with whoever's training well whoever's playing well but it's really hard to understand and Leo Cullen even expressed some surprise yesterday when I asked him about it
5: mm.
4: how a player with Joey Carby's class can't get into this Munster 23 right now what what does it say about where he is in his career I think like his World Cup is gone like, I just don't see how he makes it to, to France from this position unless Andy Farrell has incredible faith in his own ability to get a pre-season in mm. and you know like Royce Brown's a good player you know, he's an Ireland as a national but he doesn't have the game-changing capacity that Joey Carberry has coming off the bench with a bit of confidence. He's obviously bereft of confidence, needs the summer. He got married on Wednesday. Mm. You know, it just seems like it, this season's a bit of a write-off for him at this
1: stage yeah even the timing of that was a bit strange in the middle of a season you know that I know there's no honeymoon or anything like that but it is a little bit strange in the middle of the season that that would happen but uh, anyway look we wish him the best and uh, we'll watch this space because you could be right they could be going to France but maybe in a different way not with the squad uh, in the World Cup uh, but in other ways we'll have to wait and see that's interesting okay we uh, talk about Connacht now um, surprise win for them for many last week but a well-deserved win going to the Stormers with nothing to lose I expect them to throw caution to the wind and have a go but this is a strong Stormers team that they're up against away from home um, might just be a bridge too far
4: It might be Reggie and I think going on the strength of the squad and, and form Stormers probably you know, they're the champions that they're at home they're a very good team in, in Cape Town they'll have a huge support through a bigger crowd in, in, in Cape Town and there will be at the Viva today they have a real goodwill behind them the stormers and and people there love their team love their competition I had a chance to sit down with their coach John Dobson a, a month or two ago when they were over to play Leinster and, and he's a an inspirational figure and they really have rode in behind them but they are missing a couple of big a couple of their big forwards and Dion Furey, the springbok Marvin Ory the springbok in the second row they're both Out and there's no shortage of big second rows in South African squads as as we know, but it does weaken them a little, little bit. And the pitch there—I don't know who it's going to favour—but the pitch is a bit of a disaster in Cape Town at the moment. Um, They've had a lot of rain recently; it's it's cutting up badly, and it's going to hamper both teams' ability to play wide. Like the back three in both teams is arguably the strongest part of the of of the pitch, and if if they can't get traction on the pitch, it's it's a bit of an issue for them. The scrum will be a bit of a mess, and when you've got the Springbok front front row that's a bit of a problem for you so I don't know who, is, who that's going to break for but Connacht you just wonder if they played their final last Friday night in Ulster I don't think they have I think they believe that again like what I was saying like this, if Leinster are fighting on two fronts there's a chance that Leinster's, opportunity, or Leinster's weakness is your opportunity and if you can get to a final against Leinster next weekend or sorry two weeks time they could, could have been celebrating the Heineken Cup for a couple of days they may be have their eye off the ball as well and, and Connacht haven't been to a semi-final since 2016 when they won this whole thing they've been able to name an unchanged 23 which is really positive, they they have really good players, they have people who have won this competition before, they have people who have won a Grand Slam with Ireland I wouldn't write them off, I, I do think the Stormers are, are favourites at home but I wouldn't uh, in any way discount Connacht's chances of, of going there and getting results as I to say, Leinster apart, I think anyone in that top 8 can beat anyone else
1: yeah, well, it'll certainly be another intriguing game that i uh, very much looking forward to seeing today and hoping that Connacht can get the result done on that. OK, I want to move now towards the women's game. Um, it's been in the headlines a lot uh, for all the wrong reasons uh, of late. During the week, we saw a press conference over in Sport Ireland campus. Um, and, you know, it seemed like another exercise in trying to put out fires to be honest with you they were wheeling out the guns to try and do that uh, what do you make of it all I mean they're, 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 the idea of you is saying give us time and ask for patience with women's rugby but a lot of people certainly in Twitter land thinking that they've had plenty of time as it is and want to see some action
4: yeah well it's it's it's, 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 it's how long is a piece of string kind of question Reggie unfortunately you know the, the women's 6 obviously went terribly badly and that's framed how last Wednesday's gig which was kind of Planned before any of those results, and, and the you know, the departure of Greg McWilliams, the head coach, um, came to light. Um, they, they have been putting plans in place, investing in you know the six point four million going into the women's game at the moment from the RFU. They've just made eight appointments across the four provinces for, uh, and put in place five centres of excellence to try and develop young players between sixteen and twenty three to, to to try and make sure the production line is there. So that in three, four, five years time the team at the, the top will be competitive but the big question is and the question has always been really where are those players going to play and and how are they going to get good game time to try and keep pace or catch up with their rivals and and i really left wednesday's event no real not not much clear or what, not much the wiser as to what's going on in that regard because they still haven't nailed down what the AIL will look like next year the AAL is being viewed as more of a participation tournament rather than a performance tournament.
1: In and Rory, sorry of, no, for cutting across you, on. but uh, you know on that, I think what you've just said there, you left there no clearer. I think that's the issue and the confusion for everybody involved uh, in supporting and following women's rugby. There's no clarity. They, like you know, you're hearing whether it's hearsay, and uh, all of these things can be, but you're hearing that from the area view point of view there's engagement with the clubs and they're talking to the, the stakeholders they're talking to the club captains they're talking to the clubs and the clubs are not engaging and then on the other side you're hearing well they're not talking to us we got six minutes each per club we got uh, you know very little interaction we uh, you know we, we got we got tokenism and they're not listening to what the real story is nobody knows who to believe or what to believe at this yeah, stage and, I think
4: listen, and listening is key and I think once you get into the weeds of it you, people will lose interest as well because it, it just needs to be fixed you know it, it's it's you know Fiona steed the IRFU's the chair of the women's subcommittee spoke for ten minutes about the negotiations that have been gone going on around the a i the women's a i l like really that shouldn't take ten minutes to explain it should be this is what we're doing this is what we're going with the clubs have to get on board, and then the clubs have to get get on board but who's the people who suffer in the midst of all this politics are the players i mm. um, I think the biggest t- talking point really well, there was loads of talking points, but one of the biggest talking points was that David Nustapora wasn't there, like you know he's the Australian performance director of the r f u he's in charge of performance, you know he is the man who's ultimately responsible for all the performances of all the national teams and he was in uh Toulouse with the sevens team We were trying to qualify for the Olympics this weekend and if they get there, it's a great achievement from a really good group of players, but it's a group of players who really, a lot of them could contribute to the fifteens cause and yeah stop Ireland losing every week on national TV during a a really important window and I think when New Sephora leaves next year I think the sevens programme while it won't be wound down the emphasis on it may be reduced and those players may end up playing 15s a bit more and that will help but in order to catch up with England we're a runaway train right now Gillian McDarby the head of women's pathways and performance said Ireland can can compete with England within three to five years I think that's wildly ambitious Hmm. massively over optimistic based on the structures that are currently in place and the fact that the Irish players, unless they go to England, can't get high quality game time.
6: Welcome back to Dublin's Talking Sport and Sunshine 106.8 with thanks to insuremyvan.ie. Provincial football final day tomorrow for Dublin and Loud in Leinster as well as Derry and Armagh up north in Ulster. Brian Talty will join us to look ahead to the action especially from the capital perspective at Croke Park. In ladies football, Dublin secured their place in back-to-back TG Carr Leinster finals last week with victory over Leash, we hear from boss Mick Bowen. Meanwhile in Hurling, Dublin's hopes of an extended championship season received a boost with the Croke Park success against Wexford. Blues supremo Michal Dunhu, as well as our regular hurling analyst, Sean Lane, will share their thoughts and observations on that one. Sean, indeed, is in studio with us this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Morning, Declan. How are you? Very well, very well. Look forward to getting your thoughts on all things hurling-related a little bit later. So, as usual, a pretty busy section this morning. Tomorrow afternoon at Croke Park, Dublin take on Loud in the Leinster Senior Football Championship Final from 1.45. It'll be the Blues' third championship outing of the season, having defeated Leash and Most recently, Kildare in their previous two. Success for Desi Farrell's charges would be a 13th consecutive title in the province. Joining me now to preview the game is Brian Talty, the former Dublin selector. Good morning, Brian. Thanks indeed for joining us again on the programme this morning. Good morning, Declan. No problem. Before we talk about this weekend's fair, uh, just a quick word on what happened last week. You'll be quite a happy man, I'm sure, to see Galway retain their Connacht title. And then we had the expected um, comfortable victory for Kerry in the Munster final as well.
2: Yeah, I think both results were expected to be honest with you, Declan. And uh, but having said that, you know it's great to win a provincial championship, and I know a lot of people are knocking it at the moment. But um, I'm sure even Stephen Cluxton, if he wins one tomorrow, wins something like 13 as well. But. You know, I'm sure the lads were delighted to win to win in Connacht. So uh, it means something, it still means something, even though the people are trying to diminish its importance. But but uh, yeah, good to win the, the province. And, and now they move on to the big stuff.
6: They do indeed. And the big stuff for us is uh, Dublin and Louth uh, tomorrow. This is a case of two Division Two sides <coughs> in the league meeting again in the championship, as of course happened previously when Dublin played Kildare. Brian, as an experienced coach and mentor and all that, I mean, what are your thoughts on the contrasting performances from Dublin in their two games against Leash and Kildare?
2: Yeah, strange. I think you have to look at the opposition, Declan, as well. And I think you have to give great credit to Kildare. They, they, they really had their game sorted for the last day. Because I think when we talked about it last week, I said to you, you know, that I expected stuff from them over the years, and they never, never uh, produced it, and uh, and and I didn't tip them to do it the last day either. But but you have to give them credit; they they were really well organised, and uh, they did in fairness to them put it up to Dublin. You know, I I thought their matchups were really good, um, and they kept some of the major lads very quiet until later in the game. You know, so uh, good performance, and I think. Kildare got tired as well because of the Dublin. You know, the, the Dublin tackling is just amazing. Like, even though they weren't playing well, their work rate when they lose possession of the ball just wears teams out. So so uh, I think that's what happened in the end, you know, that Kildare got tired. And then, of course, Jack McCaffrey appeared in with a bit of pace and caused lots of problems, you know. So, But um, I, I think that performance from Dublin, you know, I think there were a lot of things that were wrong in Declan. Um, you know, like they found it hard to break down the, the Kildare defence. Good practice for, next, for tomorrow. Uh, their, their shot selection was poor. Their shooting was poor. They had a lot of kicks blocked down. Um, and then the other, the other question was, who's the free taker? And mm. then they, they missed a few frees as well. So I'm sure the lads have worked really hard over that the last, the last week or so. And, and uh, we'll see a big big difference in that tomorrow, hopefully.
6: The Dublin selected 15, it was announced yesterday, always subject to a health warning, of course, two or three changes minimum per, per game. Who knows, David O'Hanlon might even start in goal tomorrow, who knows? Uh, but um, Cormac Costello back in, in, in the side, of course. But, I mean, what changes would you envisage from the side that was released yesterday?
2: Well, when I look at it, Declan, to be honest with you, I look at the full forward line and I say, well, mean, I mean, you have Mannion, or Callaghan, That's your full forward line. And if you can get ball into them, surely they're going to cause lots of problems. Now, your problem will be, you know, um, Loud will have a packed defence, but I'm sure the lads have worked on uh, really hard on these things. Uh, changes tomorrow. I, I think you must have got a little hint that David O'Hanlon might be playing. I actually got that hint here at work this morning as well. Um, I would expect that Jack McAfee might start. Uh, Although, you know, what an impact he has when he comes on. But I I think I would like to see the defence just tightened up that little bit, you know, whether Jack comes on or whether James McCarthy moves back and somebody moves to midfield with Fento And then up front, look, I don't think the full forward line will change, but, you know, you could see something in the half forward line. So Mm. we don't really know, Declan, we'd be speculating about things, but... um, Certainly gonna be changes, that's for sure.
6: Yeah, that's the beauty about the Dublin football team. You just never know, do you? But Well, well I
2: think I was just I was checking Loud there as well, Declan, and, and I think Mickey Hart made a lot of changes the last day and has made a lot of changes in these team that's picked for tomorrow and okay, you won't know until tomorrow what's no. going
6: to happen, really, to be honest. No, Mick Fitzsimon's of course in, in, in the Dublin panel again uh, tomorrow either. That, that that's an interesting one. But mentioning uh Loud there, um Brian um, Leinster's second ranked team obviously they had a very good league campaign we ended their aspirations of getting to a league final with a victory over them in, in in Crow Park but what type of a challenge are you expecting from them tomorrow I'm sure uh, Mickey Hart's uh, handprint will be all over this particularly defensively
2: Well you put your finger on it there Dickie, to be honest with you. It's, uh, Mickey Hart has made such a change like they've gone from Division 4 and all right team in Division 4 to to Division, all the way to Division 2, and we're challenging to get to Division 1, you know. So that shows you what has changed. And, you know, you listen to the loud players, Declan, and uh, they'll tell you that physically and mentally things have changed and that the culture has changed inside. And you can be sure that Mickey Hart and Gavin Devlin, they will be demanding that you do things right, you know. And um, so the the loud players are fairly confident, you know, and hopefully they put up a big performance tomorrow. Um and it'll it will be a Mickey Hart style, like where they will defend in packs and then they will try and break quickly. And they have, they have some really good players, Declan. That's the, that's the big thing, you know. So, I mean, you look at Sam Mulroy, you look at Grimes in the forward line. These guys are, are really good forwards. So, uh, Dublin will have to be on their toes. Like, so, Tyrone Downey at full forward, another brilliant player, you know. And middle of the field with Conor Early and, and Tommy Dernan is a solid midfield as well. Whether they can stay with the likes of Fenton and McCarthy is the next thing, you know. So, uh, they'll be well organised. They have good footballers. And it'll be up to Dublin to break all that down.
6: No, we're we're expecting a a Dublin victory, I think it's fair to say, but it might not be as straightforward as a lot of people would envisage, which I think is probably good because you learn a lot more, I think, about a team in situations like that. And as you say, they would have learned quite a lot from the Kildare game a couple of weeks ago. Brian, before we let you go, a quick word on the Ulster final tomorrow. uh, Derry taking on Ciarán Maghini's Armagh. We know what's going on in Derry during the week, of course, with Rory Gallagher and that. But do you think that Ciarán Maghini can finally lead the Orchard County to the promised land of an Ulster title? tomorrow to former an Feena man of course here in dublin
2: yeah, absolutely you know this is, i am really looking forward to this game now we might we might get a lot of packed defenses in that game but but certainly the amount of talent on both sides is unbelievable, so hopefully they get out and they play football, but I'm sure it'll be fairly tactical to be honest with you, but this Derry team are really good as well, so hopefully things that happen during the week is not going to upset the players themselves but um you know. I think Armagh will put it up to my I'm always expecting Armagh to get a big one. And, you know, when you look at the players that they have and you look at some of the performances that they put in last year as well, a Declan, to be honest, um, you, you couldn't tip anybody for that game, to be honest. But I suppose Derry go in favourites, but that'd be good for Armagh.
6: Yeah, and of course, by tomorrow evening, we could have all four provincial champions having successfully defended their titles as well, of course.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, uh, you'd expect that, that Dublin would do that and then you're wondering... Derry Armagh, that could
6: be some game. Oh, it certainly could. Really looking forward to that one. I think it's four o'clock uh, tomorrow afternoon. Dublin's game with Loud is throwing in at a quarter to two at uh, Croke Park and the boys would appreciate all the support they can get because you can be sure there'll be a big crowd down from Loud for that one tomorrow, making the relatively short trip down the M1. No doubt Brian Talty will be sitting somewhere around the Art Carlow, I would say, tomorrow afternoon <laughs> watching, really watching that I wish. <laughs> <laughs> If you can't get there, Brian, there's no hope for the rest of us, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, listen, thanks very much indeed my friend for taking our call again this morning and uh, we'll catch up again soon. You're very welcome, Justin. Thank you. Got, got there too. Brian Talty, Oskunta Nick Oliver, and of course a great man and very knowledgeable in Dublin football over the years in various roles of club management and indeed uh, a selector uh, in the Dublin senior team as well. Okay, we're going to stay with football, but switching now to ladies. Dublin beat Leash at D.C.U. last Sunday, three fourteen to three points in their second game in the T.G. Caragh Championship. Hannah Tira Carla Rowe, and Kate Sullivan with the goals. It's a result which secures a place in the final, most likely against Meath on May the twenty-eighth. Eight, which was fixed for O'Moore Park in Leash. so what did Dub's boss Mick Bowen make of the game when I spoke to him at DCU after the game
5: well I suppose we're delighted obviously to have got you know so many players get an opportunity to play championship football because representation is really important and you don't always get the opportunity to reward players you know particularly uh, squad players so that's that was big today um, and you know there was I, certain players stood out really well I thought Fay O'Connell Bell was excellent you know she's a kid that's put her hand up in training so we were delighted it went really well for her and then obviously we did a little bit of a mix uh, from some of the girls that would have started last week you know didn't start maybe didn't give us as much as we thought they might have last week but some of them answered it a bit better today. Um, I thought we were a little bit better in creating goal chances. Not as clinical as we'd like to be, but that's the work ons I think we probably had eight goal chances and only finished with three of them. So um, I thought defensively we were sound, although they were in for a good uh, were in two good goal chances, two good stops. I thought, um, thought in goals, Abby was a very very good today. Uh, she's grown, which is great. So look, lots of positives.
6: Your stats team will confirm the. Fo- uh, you know, I think all your six forwards had scored in the first half, and all of your scores, bar one, had, had come from play as well, which must be pleasing.
5: Yeah, some of the movement was good. Um, you know, we were disappointed last week. We thought we were a bit flat up front. Uh, we thought we were very predictable in the way we played. But look, as you know yourself, in the weeks that go on, these are the work ons. Sometimes you see it in front of your eyes that it's it's working, and other times you're frustrated because it's not coming to the coming onto the field. But that's the bit where we earn our crust.
6: I hope my, my written colleagues had plenty of pay for all the substitutions that were made. But one of them was uh, was Kerry Owens, of course, of Thomas Davis, who has had an extremely difficult period following the, the loss of her mother recently as well.
5: Yeah, and obviously comes from a very proud club, and in the parts of the city the. Um, The community spirit is just huge. To see their club in action last week will put you in good form. Just the solidarity of their club and obviously she comes from a very proud Gaelic family. Um, Her auntie Christine obviously played for the Dubs. Her own mum I think might have played junior football for for Dublin at some stage. Um, Her granddad Christy is a huge uh, Mayo man, very proud. Her own father Jimmy, I would have had Jimmy and Thomas Davis, great fella, great fella they'd come from really good uh, cutter cloth so you'd be delighted for her and then
6: finally for me the prospect Mick of seeing some of the established names coming back that haven't appeared in either league or championship yet for you in 2023 what's the latest on, on their positions the likes of Sinead Ahern, Sinead Goldrick and one, one or two others
5: well I believe Goldie's back in the country this week but uh um look the reality been it would be a very 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 slim chance um of, of either them playing but um we've done everything we could to try and exhaust those avenues but they've been incredible servants and you know realistically sometimes the the time they know themselves when it's right and we'll have a chat with goldie again this week but look we'll see
6: Yes, indeed, we will see. Neve Collins, I believe, is travelling, so she won't be around. And Kira Trant, the goalkeeper, has uh, stepped away from the panel as well. And just want to take the opportunity publicly here, and we are on um, Dublin's Talking Sport this morning, to extend our sympathies to the McGinty and Owens family on the loss of Donna there recently as well. Mick, I think, spoke eloquently there of her in that particular piece. OK, that's uh, it for football. We're now going to turn our attention to hurling. And Dublin made it two wins from three in the Leinster Championship thanks to a 122 to 23 point success over Wexford at Croke Park last Saturday. Nafina ace Donald Burke top scoring with 13 points, including a monster late score. St. Bridget's man Keenan O'Sullivan raised the green flag for Michal Donahue's Blues. And uh, as I say, Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is with me in the studio. We'll be reviewing that uh, win shortly. But first, let's hear from the Doves boss, Michal Donahue, who I spoke to post match.
7: Tough game. It was a game. Obviously, we knew coming here Wexford are a a top top team, and I thought the lads done really well. You know, we I thought we started okay in the game, and uh, fairness Wexford probably came back into it. But I, I just felt maybe that you know we didn't hurl well enough, maybe to use the ball and go through the lines more. Where we're getting a bit of joy in the first half, and we went away from that, and I think that's what brought Wexford back into the game. Obviously, we could address a few things at half-time and going into the second half. Started okay again, you know, went four or five points up and, you know, testament to the team that Wexford are. A few of their bigger players started to really hurt us, you know, Lee Moog hurt us when he came out around the middle row he was hurting us. So, uh, you know, our lads had to dig deep, really dig deep for that win today and uh, showed huge resilience toward the end of the game, so happy with that. Some
6: great, some great performances all over the field I mean Keno Sullivan for his goal particularly and I mean what about that save from Sean Brennan what were well, eight minutes to go a key moment had that gone in perhaps the momentum really might have swung to them
7: yeah absolutely but you know in, in fairness to Wexford like they they threw the kitchen sink at it and coming toward the end of normal time it looked like they, they were going to get there but as said the lads showed great resilience you know within that there were big moments in the game like you said with Sean's save so uh and Doheny's last free as well just gave us the bit of breathing space, you know, that maybe they had to go for goal, or that you know, when when they were running at us, uh, the player was fouled,
6: and uh, just gave us a chance to set up for the last free. Is that the resilience, the most pleasing aspect of it from, from your perspective today?
7: Yeah, it was. Look, they're a young team. Do you know what I mean? Uh, a really, really young team that are trying to go out on their own journey, but like their attitude and application has been top notch, and you know we knew today was a big game, so obviously with a big game, you want a big performance, and uh yeah, I thought we were okay uh from you know from watching him affair before we got involved here, you always held him in the highest team now that we've gotten the opportunity to work with him, he's just absolutely top class and uh you know, maybe back a game or two. You know where he had an off day on the freeze today, particularly the last one because I know we were a point up, but it just gave us that cushion to to get the the two points. Uh, obviously, Wexford would have needed a goal, or and uh, try to manufacture one, but like there there was some free to land from.
6: Yeah, it certainly was some free-to-land fair play to Donald Burke there on that performance last week and the Dublin team on their performance. No doubt Jimmy Gray, the late Jimmy Gray, would have uh, been really, really proud to have been in Crow Park to have seen that one last uh, Saturday evening. Now, Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, has been sitting patiently listening to the football chat and it's time for you to shine now, Sean, and take your place in the starting 15, as they say, replacing Brian Talty in the full forward line. Uh, stirring is one word I used last Saturday to describe the, the win and what about that monster free from Donald Burke to ultimately win the game?
8: Yeah and I think Michal uh, Declan covered it really really well there um, you know uh, you know, he didn't know at the time what was going to happen afterwards and uh, the fact that it went over it, it did mean that, that uh, you know that uh, Wexford had to get a goal because uh, a draw would have done Wexford they would have been quite happy because Dublin had drawn up in Antrim uh, Wexford would have if they if they Ball didn't go over the bar. Could have had the luxury of tipping over the last three. They got uh, drawn the game, and we'd be under really, really, really pressure. So a huge score and. Uh you know, the, as a crow flies, probably ninety five meters.
6: No, oh, it was an epic score. It really, really was. It would, it would lift the spirits to see that one sailing over the bar at the hill end of the ground. At the other end of the ground, cooler man, uh, Sean Brennan showed his class. Uh, we had this discussion about number one for the Dublin team a, a while ago, Sean. But um, Sean Brennan seems to have uh, cemented that particular uh, place now in Meathal Donahue's side, and again showed last Saturday just why with that great save about what eight minutes from time at that. Got in, the momentum was really gone to Wexford and it could have slipped away from us the game.
8: Yeah, absolutely Declan and, and the momentum was with Wexford at the time because Wexford had come from about five points down or were on the, in the middle of coming from five points down to level it so a goal then would have absolutely raised the roof. Having said that, the crowd wasn't great on, on the actual day. Uh, it's important to say that we've always said that Dublin are you know, even going back to aforementioned Jimmy Gray was a smashing goalie in his own day. We've had tremendous goalies all the time. We just happened to have two or three good ones at the one time and I know you always give me a ribbit about it (laughs) but at the same time um, young Brennan stood up. That was a tremendous world class saver however you would describe it in yeah. a hurling context. Yeah. Uh, and probably that and Donald's free were probably the difference in the end.
6: Yeah. One of the other great goalkeepers was uh, on the GAA Go platform. Oh no, let's not go there this week. We haven't time. Yeah. Honestly, we haven't time. Um, before we move on to the Camogie, just quickly, your assessment of the group as it stands now from a Dublin perspective. We have two wins and a draw, but we have two very difficult games coming up against Kilkenny and Galway. One away and one at home.
8: Yeah, it's it's very funny in the sense, Declan. Um, a lot of people were, were five points and mm-hmm. saying that's grand. We've an all-Ireland quarter-final, but I remind viewers and listeners that this time last year we'd six points and we still didn't go through. Um, luxury, you know that that a luxury that Wexford may have is they may draw with Kenny at home uh, and get to six points as well after they beat Westmead. Um, you know, and you know we just need to keep our you know shoulder to the wheel get some sort of a result between Galway and Wexford, be it a draw, get an extra point on the board. Um, But, you know, you'd have to be very happy with the way they did play and Wexford in Crow Park is a good scalp. And look, let's drive it on.
6: Oh, absolutely. Let's drive it on. It's Kilkenny away mm-hmm. at Nolan Park next uh, Saturday evening. We're going to turn to the Camogie, Sean. And they qualified for the Leinster final with a last four victory over Mead last Saturday. That final is actually taking place this afternoon in Nolan Park with a 2.30 start. The side enjoying a really positive championship campaign after a poor uh, league uh, season. But of course, league and uh, Leinster Championship and Ireland Championship are different in the Camogie scene. But... Uh, What a turnaround in a couple of months to be looking forward to a a Leinster final this evening against Kilkenny.
8: Absolutely, and I I spoke with Carl O'Brien, the the chairman of the Camogie Board, during the week. He was out refereeing in in Marley Park and they're very, very happy with it. And and it's player-driven, I mean... You you had Ashley Maron here on here on, on 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 in an interview herself and Ashley O'Neill, Marion Keller. The girls are driving this on themselves. I mean, they've had so many changes of management, so many structural changes. But like as you said, they had a really really bad campaign. They only got a draw against Clare in five league games. No one expected them to beat Wexford but they did no one expected them to put up the score that they did against Mead but they did but look this may be a bridge too far Declan you know Denise Gall and, and, and uh, Katie Power um, um, Grace Walsh I mean they just might be a little bit a bridge too far and the fact that it was in Nolan Park as well won't help but you have to get to these matches to learn we learnt an awful lot last year and it seemed to leave us it's important we learn again this year and keep what we learn and drive on again next year
6: finally just a couple of quick things the mm-hmm. under 20s were disappointing in their defeat to Offaly during the week and lastly who do you fancy in the big one this weekend in hurling between Clare and Waterford
8: yeah I was very disappointed in the Dublin 20s having shown great uh, having come back against Galway where well, they were 10 points down and won it uh, you know, and then against Wexford who were in the Leinster final they gave a right drill and I was over that in, in Parnell Park the big one in, 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 in Munster Waterford and Clare have to fancy Clare I suppose but <coughs> I think there's one more driving Davey and uh, he has good players at his disposal so let's see how it goes
1: Thank you to Declan and Sean Lane for that comprehensive round up on all things GA it's time to turn our attention to football now delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Alan Colley Good morning Al how are you?
9: I'm good, Reggie. How are you?
1: Ah, never better, never better. Another great weekend of sport in front of us and looking forward to it. Nice bit of weather out there too. So, uh, last night uh, there was a few good games going on. Um, Rovers got the job done against UCD. That was expected 3-0. They're back top of the table. But Derry, decent win for them. 1-0 against Bowes.
9: Yeah, big win, uh, Reggie. Obviously, you're going up against one of your rivals at top, and It was important, I felt, for Bohemians to try and bounce back with a positive reaction to the defeat last week to Shamrock Rovers. But... Uh, they had a man sent off early on I haven't seen it back I was actually enriching to myself but by all accounts um, it was last man back I think Grant Horton and took down Michael Duffy he had a man sent off and it was always going to be an uphill task after that even just listening to a couple of the interviews I know Rory Higgins was delighted with the first half performance and felt it should have been out of sight really but second half I think Bohemians came back into it and showed a lot of fight and spirit as they have done all year and, and pushed them close but it's a big win for Derry and it just keeps them on the coattails and Sean Rovers at the top and uh, I think they're level on point to balls now and two points behind Rovers so it's, it's fairly tight at the top Reggie
6: You were at that game Declan you, you saw it first hand sending off Yeah Yeah um, yeah. I would I would like to see it back in all honesty before I'd make an informed decision on it but uh the way the game was going at that stage, Paddy Kirk booked after a minute, your man down after uh, 14 minutes, and then your goal down after 17 minutes, you just don't think it's going to be your night, you know, but um, in fairness to Bose, in the second half, they they made a couple of changes, Chris Twardek came on amongst others, and uh, made a real difference, they pushed and they probed at Derry, but just couldn't get that elusive equaliser, so... I think from a defensive point of view, Rory Higgins will be very, very happy with the way that his uh, defence stood up to the pressure that they were put under last night. And it's a massive uh, three points for them.
1: As we approach the halfway stage of the season, uh, Alan, I suppose Rovers, they, they're kind of there was a kind of a shaky enough start, let's say. and uh, But they seem to be getting into their stride now and they just seem to be that bit better than what's around.
9: Yeah, I'd agree with that, Reggie. Um, I think it's eight wins out of nine now in the last... Uh, and the, and the other game was a draw against Shelburne, the 2-2 so that's unbelievable form and that's what they're capable of going on runs like that even though it was a shaky enough start they weren't losing they were just drawing and not getting the victories uh, but they never panicked and, and as you say they've hit that run of form now with those victories and they're sitting top of the table and that form certainly looks ominous for the rest of the teams and I would agree that they're a good bit ahead of the others as well. I felt Derry would push them this year. I think Derry have been hampered by the fact that they've, they've had a couple of injuries and the key players, Duffy's only back the last two or three weeks. Dumb again, I think, only came back uh, last night maybe. Declan will correct me on that but I know he was in the squad. Um, so big players like that that they've just missed out on. But there's still plenty of time left, Reggie, and Mm. and them players are coming back to fitness now. And if they can just hang on the coattails of Shamrock Rovers, maybe into the European stuff, because obviously Shamrock Rovers will have one eye on that as well in terms of trying to progress. And that would be a distraction for them just trying to juggle the league in Europe, especially if they progress far into the competition like they're hoping to do, like group stages. So if they can just hang on their coattails, but in terms of the general quality, I do think they're ahead of the rest, well ahead.
1: Yeah, and with uh, Pats on Monday night to play, and they're at home, that one Rovers, you'd fancy to get that result as well. Derry home too against Dundalk though.
9: Yeah, I watched Pats last night, and 3-0 flattered them, Reggie. Drodder were right in the game up until the first goal, which came I think on 81 minutes. It was two goals laid on in injury time from Chris Forrester, and he's still their best player, Forrester. He's brilliant. A lot of young players in the Pats team. Uh, Young Murphy's one to watch out for, played very well last night. But... I just think they're in a very much a transition period as well. Pat's no manager at the moment. A lot of young players. I thought Drada pushed them all the way. Drodda played quite well. And when you consider the resources, Drada are working off. and Ryan Brennan had to play a centre-half last night, a bit of a makeshift team. And Pat made hard work of a victory. He made a change at half-time, which was a positive one. He brought Jamie Lennon into centre-field. Because the lad, Crada, he struggled in the first half. Brought Jamie Lennon in and made a big difference to him in the second half. Uh, so they'll, they'll put it up to Shamrock overs, but I'd be surprised if they beat Shamrock Rovers.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. OK, uh, to look across the water, uh, Alan, because it's really getting intriguing over there. Um, obviously, at the top, there's just that point and the game in hand between them but at the bottom you know there's there's games there that could have a big influence on how it pans out for example everton fighting for their lives two points clear of the relegation zone home to man city uh, on sunday uh, and they they've they've played well everton in the last few weeks like they've battled and really really tried hard any chance they could pull out a draw and just Help us here in Arsenal.
9: <laughs> yeah, I think there is, Reggie, to be fair, because you mentioned about the the played quite well. You look at the form, the game against Brighton during the week, and no one would have predicted that result. Mm. It was unbelievable. And Brighton have been one of the stories of the season, how good they've been. So to go to the Amex and win 5-1, they'll be bouncing into the game on Sunday with the confidence that'll give them. And they know it's a bit of a shot to nothing. This isn't the game that's going to relegate them, to be fair, Reggie. You know, mm. There's obviously a couple of games after this as well. And with that wind, of have a bit of breathing space going into that because of the, the victory that they probably didn't expect against Brighton. So they have a bit of... And you might think two points, that's hardly a cushion. It is amongst all the other teams because none of them are winning. And it only takes one win. We've seen that with Forrest even the other night. And it bounces you out two or three points because, as I say, none of the rest of them are. You look at Leeds and Leicester and obviously Southampton. So um, I think they can win to this game with a lot of confidence. City will obviously have one eye your on Wednesday night as well. I think Guardiola would have been looking for this game maybe to, to obviously that if Arsenal slipped up against Newcastle that they could have went in with a cushion that he could have rested a load of players. Well, I don't think he'd be able to rest a lot of them, but he'd definitely maybe leave two or three out. So I think Everton do have a chance of maybe getting a draw. Um, you look at the performance. I go back to during the week as well with Rudiger on Haaland and Everton have brought Yuri Mina into the team, um, that big physical presence. And what I've seen with Rudiger, and it's just an observation, Reggie, Nowadays, and Declan will know this as well, nowadays all centre-halves want to be ball-playing centre-halves, and that's fine for the modern game and the way they're playing, and you need that technical ability as well, and we see John Stone stepping into midfield and not a bother on him. But 10, 15 years ago, centre-half, or even long before that, the reason they were centre-halves is because they couldn't play Reggie, Mm. and they just kick and fight and battle. And Rudiger put a template up for all centre-halves, in my view, for the way he played Haaland the other night. He battled him, he fought him, he kicked him, he pinched him, He's done all the nasty things that you need to do to try and stop a top player um, without stepping over the line. Mm. And I just look at the centre-halves at the moment, in the Premier League particularly, nobody's battled him or fought him or, or tried to get in his face. Um, he's trampled all over the centre-halves, largely because none of them are aggressive enough. And I just think you look at Yerry Mina and, and, and centre-halves going forward, that's a template how to play Hallett. I know you might not match him athletically because he's so quick as well, but certainly in the physical states, they should be able to rough him up exactly like what Rudiger did the other night, and I thought Rudiger was
1: brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, Another interesting battle uh, is the Leeds at home to Newcastle uh, game. Newcastle desperately trying to cling on to that top four finish. They're only two points clear. Um, If if Leeds, who are battling for their lives also, were to somehow get a result there, that puts a heap of pressure back on Newcastle. It does, Reg, yeah, but I
9: watched Newcastle and the game. You obviously watched it, Arsenal. I thought Newcastle were great in the game. The two teams were brilliant. I thought it was a great, great game. And Arsenal showed their quality and came out on top. So even though Newcastle slipped up last week, I still think they'll be fine against Leeds. Leeds are poor. Newcastle are very good. I know Leeds are fighting for their lives and it's in in Ellen Road and Big Sam and all the stories that go with it. But I'd be surprised if they get a result. I think Leeds are doomed, Reggie, and I can't see them getting a result against Newcastle.
1: So that'll be Southampton and Leeds doomed. That kind of leaves us with uh, Leicester, Everton and Nottingham Forest battling who do you think of the three of those would be I
9: think I think it's going to be Leicester Reggie because Forrest showed that battling quality against Southampton the other night their home form is very good you just look at Leicester they didn't look like a bunch of players who were fighting for their lives against Fulham during the weekend a lot of them probably know they'll get moved at the end of the season anyway they like the Madison and players like that so I'd worry for Leicester I really would I think it'd be Southampton who were gone already and I think it'd be Leeds and Leicester
0: Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken, and Reggie. Have a good weekend.